Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Oh, what a joy it is to be with Rockbrook Church this morning, absolutely, and the weather, and hey, the time change next week, so much good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, we've been in this character study uh, on, king, on a king who lived 3,000 years ago named Solomon, and next week we're going to begin a new character study on someone described in the Bible. God. We're going to do a five-week character study on God himself. The series is called Getting to Know God. God wants you to know him. The Bible says we can know him. That's wonderful because you can't trust God unless you first know God. And that's what we're going to spend the five weeks leading up to Easter weekend talking about. Not what God is like on TV or in cartoons or in novels, but what God is really, really like. We'll look at Uh, What God knows, what God knows about us, his omniscience, uh, God's power in our lives, his omnipotence. Where is God when I need him? His omnipresence, our unchanging God, his immutability. And I'm excited about this because God is loving, he's gracious, he's amazing. I'm looking forward to telling people about God. And uh, if you're looking for a weekend, uh, to some people ask, what's a really good weekend to bring my friend? And we try to make every weekend a good opportunity for that, but uh, some people like to get in on the start of a series, so that would be next week. But really, we're designing each week of these, it'd be a great weekend. Any of those would be a great weekend to bring your friend with you, and of course, Easter weekend, but we'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks. Today, we finish this series on the King, the Rise and Fall of King Solomon, And uh, we started out with the untested king. So Solomon's presented to the nation as this untested, soft uh, person who's never had to really make a big leadership decision before. He became the wise king uh, through a series of great decisions. And um, and Pastor Kelly's message on the wise king, I was out of town, listened to it in my car. And the last five minutes of that, I was just amening and hallelujah and and I even said out loud, they better be getting this at home. They better be getting it. So if you miss that sermon, or maybe you go back and just hear the last five minutes of that thing again. That was absolutely incredible. And then the relational king talking about Solomon's relationships. And really Solomon's relationships, you could credit the rise and the fall. He had relationships that helped him become wise and grow and grow the nation and, and uh, do what he set out to do and what God would have him to do. It's his relationships that also led to his downfall, especially his relationships with all these wives and girlfriends that he had and uh, that just led to his downfall. They divided his heart. It was absolutely the wrong thing to do in every way. We need to be following God in our relationships. Uh, Those women divided his heart. Then uh, when his son gets the kingdom, his son's an absolute monster, ends up dividing the kingdom. So Solomon's divided heart. How many know that our decisions affect far more than just us? Solomon's divided heart ended up dividing the kingdom into north and south. If you want to read the accounts of Solomon, he's in a few different places. He's in 2 Samuel. He's at the end of 1 Chronicles, beginning of 2 Chronicles. He also wrote the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But if you want to just sit down and read 
the accounts, you can go through where we've been a lot in this series, 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11, and our theme verse for this series has been uh, from 1 Kings chapter 10, where it says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world saw audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And so today, I want to look at, we've been reading this verse every week, let's look at the what led up to this, to this statement, led up to these verses. Because word has spread about this great king. He was excellent and wise, had favor with God, built an amazing kingdom. And neighboring nations are taking notice and starting to hear about it. And one, partic- one person in particular, the Queen of Sheba, who wasn't convinced. She had to see for herself. I mean, it's like, this is the same guy who's announced as this soft, untested king and He's done all this, and so she comes to visit, and she's put together questions to ask the king to see if he's that wise, and wants to see for herself of how he's moved from untested to all this wisdom and riches. says, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones... She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was, say this word with me, overwhelmed. And this word is translated from the Hebrew word ruah, which means spirit or breath or wind. And what it's saying basically is in this moment, she's overwhelmed. She was, it was breathtaking experience. She was left breathless. She had trouble breathing. She was so overwhelmed. I wonder if ever, if you've ever been in a situation where your breath was just taken away uh, I got to reflecting on times in my life where that's happened. It happened to me a lot growing up because I have an older brother who knocked the wind out of me uh, a lot. And um, also happened to me a lot with bike accidents and uh, still happens with bike accidents to this day. Uh, but there are other times I've been left breathless for something good or something amazing like my wife walking down the aisle at our wedding or uh, when uh, one of my baby boys put their head, isn't it just the best when they stop squirming for one moment and rest their head on your, you just want to pause time. It's just overwhelming. It's my favorite thing in the world. And then uh, another time, this breathtaking thing happened. Just a couple of weeks ago, Lauren and I went to northern Arizona and southern Utah and went to a bunch of canyons. And I had been to the Grand Canyon before. Lauren never had. And we got there at midnight and uh, I was just anxious to take her to go see it. And so we grabbed a couple flashlights and hiked up to the rim of the Grand Canyon. And uh, there was no moon. And so how many know a flashlight ain't going to give you much of the Grand Canyon? So <laughs> we saw about 10 feet of it. But it just turned into this amazing moment because you just, just see more stars than I've ever seen in my life. And standing there in the cold and the wind of the canyon and next to my wife is just breathtaking. But then the next day... We were going to hike some of the canyons, so we go up to the rim in the daylight, and, and uh, I'm getting ready for the hike, and I look up, and Lauren's just standing there, just 
whoa. You know, everyone had said, everyone said, there's just nothing like it. And she, you know, was seeing it for herself and her just breath was taken away. And then I was left breathless again when we tried to hike the Grand Canyon. So <laughs> for another reason, so breathless from overwhelmed, breath taken from too many Oreos or whatever. But um, so she's having this amazing, she's having this Grand Canyon moment, this moment of wow, it's overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Watch this, what she says. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. She saw the excellence that surrounded the king, and therefore she saw God. It caused her to praise God. And what's happening here is very similar to what Christ Jesus challenges us to do in Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Not so that you get the credit but that they glorify your Father in heaven. That if I live my life a certain way, people could see God in my life. Not how great I am, but how it happened, that it wouldn't happen without God in me. That people would say, man, I know Ryland. There's no way he could have conquered that addiction on his own. There's no way he could do these things by himself. It's, there's a God element, and that people would see what you have in your life and They would give glory to your Father in heaven. So what does that mean for us today? So here's where I'm at as we finish this series. We look at Solomon and we think, well, that's great for Solomon that he had the riches and the platform to do that. Or we could say the opposite. We could say, man, how could a guy who saw God twice and all, all that wisdom do all the stupid things that he did? Marry multiple women and reintroduce slavery and just dishonor God in all the ways that he did? How could a guy who built the temple for God, for crying out loud, build these temples to these gods that his, his wives are worshiping and dishonor God that way? And today as we leave this series, uh, I want to give us some questions on which to reflect that challenge us to see the Solomon in us. Because there's a little bit of Solomon in me, and there's a little bit of Solomon in you, that says, one moment, worship God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then another moment, turn from him and, and worship the created, or worship an idol, or worship something worthless, and give your life to something else. There's that contradiction in each one of us. And we have platforms that we can use to point people to God. We also have sins in our life that we need to uproot. There's a little bit of Solomon in all of us. So I just want to break down this passage a little bit. And maybe these questions, as you study Solomon in the future, he comes up in Bible reading or messages or different things. And instead of saying, man, how could Solomon do this? How could he do that? That it would cause us, man, what's my blind spot? What do I, what does that mean for me? 
today. And so I want to break down part of what the queen saw, and I'll give you the statement, then I'll give you the fill-in. First thing she points out is when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon. And I think we could all agree that when Solomon asked God for wisdom, he made the right choice. And I think we would all agree that that was the right thing to do. But then go on in our life and live through circumstance after circumstance and never, for ourselves, ask God for wisdom. And so I think the, the reflection question for us is, am I making wise choices? God, what should I do with this relationship? How should I parent my child through this tough time? God, what should I do about my finances or lack thereof? Again, it's easy for us to see the wisdom and the foolishness in Solomon or in the people around us. But does that also cause us to ask, am I making wise choices? Because I can't control them, but I do have self-control. And I can go to God and read his word and ask for others for godly counsel. And I have a choice to make. And to actually, in a circumstance, say, God, what is the wise thing to do? What would you have me to do? The queen points out another thing is that the palace he had built and the food on his table. If you, you read through First Kings, you read through the accounts of Solomon, uh, you can maybe get confused just in passing that there's two things happening here. He's building the temple for God, the worship place for God. He's also built his palace, so his dwelling, his dwelling place, his home. And so Solomon was managing all of what God had given him Great for Solomon, but what's the question for us is, am I managing what God has given me well? Again, this is about pointing people to Christ, giving God glory. She saw these things in Solomon. It caused her to give glory to God. And I have found that the better people steward their time and their gifts, their talents, and steward their money or their, their, their treasure to glorify God, the more people see those things, and it brings people to God. They say, I want part of that. I want a piece of that. It's a testimony to what God can do in one's life. The next thing she points out is the seating of his officials. So this is his cabinet. Like these are the, they have big responsibilities. They're making big decisions. Solomon's doing life with them in a way. The attending of the servants And then she even notices how they're dressed. Of like, man, even the servants are well taken care of. Like, it's good to be a servant here. And then his cupbearers. And um, I've always pictured cupbearers a certain way, maybe because I've seen too many movies. But I always pictured them as like the person who they're tasting the wine right before the king does to make sure the king's not being poisoned. Or, you know, like a king, this neighboring nation has sent over this bottle of wine. Let me sip it first. Or your son has sent up a duck. Let me carve the duck and eat part of the duck first or whatever. And I know I'm weird and you're looking at me like I'm weird and that's fine. But the cupbearers, if you study this, man, these were trusted people that the king would take care of. And as the king would take care of them, they would would watch the king's back. And so really they're overseeing a lot of things in his kingdom and close to him to where the king can feel confident and secure on his throne and know that as I'm taking care of these people, they're taking care of me. And so again... That's great for Solomon, but what what does that mean for me today? 
I think a great question to ask ourselves is, am I treating people well? Am I trusting those around me? Am I giving to them? Am I being generous with them? Am I being generous with my wisdom? Am I wanting what's best for them? Doing what's best for them? Is anybody's life better because I'm a part of their life? When I enter a situation, is, it, is there more drama or less drama? Am I an escalating person or a de-escalating person? Like, am I treating the people in my life well? Am I treating them well? One more thing she notices. The burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord. So these offerings, these sacrifices, this is before Christ. So Jesus Christ paid the once and for all sacrifice for sin on the cross. Before this, they were offering sacrifices to God to cover their sin and as worship to God. And the queen of Sheba notices, okay, they're being required to do this. God's asking them to do this. But Solomon is obviously going above and beyond. He's doing it over the top. He's going the extra mile. He's not just worshiping like the lowest bar. He's worshiping sacrificially. That's the question for us is, am I worshiping sacrificially? Now, when it talks about sacrifice in the Bible, it's referring to something the person wanted or needed. It's a first fruit. It's a first crop. It's livestock that were needed. And so it was given to the Lord to put him first to make a sacrifice and then see how God would provide. It's hard to submit that way. It it was submitting to God. It was difficult. In week one of the series, we said submission isn't submission until you actually have to submit. Until you reach a point where it's like, well, here's my opinion or here's the way I think about it, God, but here's, God, here's the way you think about it. Here's what you say. And so I'm going to submit to you. And this week, as we talk about worshiping sacrificially, I want to say it this way, is sacrifice isn't sacrifice until we sacrifice something we don't want to sacrifice. (laughs) That's a sentence right there, isn't it? But the point is that, man, it's, it's easy to give God some income that doesn't have a name on it. It's easy to give God, God, I'll give you my spare time. Or God, I'll give you my spare gifts. Like, I'm really using my my best gifts and my best energy over here on this thing. But I've got some other gifts and some other energy I'm not using. And so God, I can give that to you. That's not sacrifice. I talked with someone on our worship team once um, who just, most humble guy, but he just knew, he would come into worship, he just knew, I'm supposed to be on that team, and I'm supposed to be using my gifts that way. But he would never go through an orientation, he would never try out, because he knew it was going to mean Thursday night rehearsals, and giving up weekends to play all five services, and it's gonna, he said, it's going to change what I listen to in the car, because i got to listen to the songs, and know the songs, and take time to practice them, and everything else. He didn't want to give up that time and energy finally did he says he's so grateful it was so hard to sacrifice all that but he loved knowing that he made a decision to give God that time that energy I've had those conversations with people serving in Rockbrook for kids they said I know I can make a difference there 
They knew they had a heart for kids, but maybe they were feeling insecure. Of like, well, they don't, they don't want what I have to offer. Well, they didn't want to give up that time. But the, at the end of the day, they realized God was calling them to it. They worshiped sacrificially. And when you give up something you want or need for your family, for God, for the church, you're, you're worshiping because God is, is worthy of it. it. This is big because do you realize there's a whole war going on over your worship? And, and I'm not trying to be over the top or embellish this to make a point. There just is. The spiritual warfare that's happening is actually happening over your worship. I shared this at a worship team gathering the other night, and they said, you've got to share this on a weekend. To do it, I need to set up another person in Scripture who lived before Solomon, this, long before Solomon. His name's Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest, and this word could also be translated wealthiest, but it came with a lot of influence. He's the greatest man among all the people of the East. And what happens is you read Job chapter 1. He sets up who Job is, and then you see the enemy comes before God and says, the only reason Job worships you is because his life is so great. And if it wasn't great, he would curse you to your face. But you protect him, and he lives in luxury, so he loves you. And God says, no, he really loves me, and I'm going to prove it to you. And he tells Satan, it's okay if you touch him, but you can't kill him. What does that mean? He says, you can affect his life, but you can't take his life. And Job loses it all. His livestock were attacked and stolen. His servants were killed. A house collapses on his children. Uh, he loses his health, develops sores all over his body. And you can shuffle that theological deck however you want. Many would say, I can't believe God would allow that. Well, he did. And God's glory was on the line. And there was a war going on over Job's worship. And could I just throw out this possibility to you that it's possible when you're at the lowest moment, when you're losing it all, it's just possible that a challenge went up to God that says, oh, they're a Christian, really? As soon as they hit a tough moment, God, they're going to drop you like a lead weight. And it's just possible God might say, well, let's find out. And, and we don't have to, to like that, but in the midst of it, we remember that God has not forsaken us. And he's exalted when we say, well, God, you're still God, and you are good, and I belong to you. I mean, back, back to Solomon. Solomon wrote a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and in this book we get a glimpse into what life is like for a person who literally has everything. Do, do you know anyone who figuratively has everything? I know a, a couple people who figuratively, they have everything. And you get them alone in a moment and, they, and they'll tell you, man, I'm still not satisfied. It's not what I thought it was, it was going to be. 
And really, Job and Solomon had the same thing happen to them with different implications. Job had everything, and it was taken away from him. He's the richest person in all the land. Children, land, livestock, servants, money, houses, it's all taken away. His loss was unimaginable. Solomon had the opposite happen and that his gain was unimaginable. He started off with little, untested, soft. He ends up with wisdom, property, parties, gardens, servants, money, sex, all to an extreme that's hard to even imagine. Nothing I could say would really over-exaggerate it or do it justice. His Maserati did 185 and then some. And so the queen says, she, I mean, the queen comes and she's overwhelmed by it. Breathtaking. In Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So here's what he did. He says, you think possessions satisfy? Let's find out. You think sex satisfies? Let's find out once and for all. You think a hobby will satisfy? Let's find out. You think fun is going to satisfy? Let's find out. Let's just go all out and settle it once and for all. And he comes back and he says, yeah, it was fun. And I had a good time. But I'm still not satisfied. And nothing was gained. And at the end of the day, both Solomon with everything and Job with nothing find themselves recognizing and worshiping the Most High God. Solomon, with all this stuff, says 10 chapters later in Ecclesiastes 12, says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. At the end of the day, sitting there with all this stuff, it's all meaningless except worshiping God and doing what he tells you to do. The Bible says that when messengers came to Job to tell Job about all the losses in his life, sitting there at the bottom, Job fell to the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart, meaning I came in with nothing, I'm gonna leave with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. At the core of every gain or loss in your life, at the core of every Solomon moment, every Job moment in your life, you will find the war for your worship. Within every new life, every death, in every good thing, every bad thing, within every compliment, every criticism where respect is gained, where it is taken away, Within every pay cut, every pay raise, every subtraction or addition to your life, you will find the war over your worship. And at the core of it is this question, okay, who do you love now? Who do you worship now? Who is God now? And somewhere in heaven, there's an I told you. 
I told you it's, it's not because of what they have or don't have. It's because of who I am. It's because I am worthy. And I just wonder if the war over your worship has ever been the centerpiece of a conversation in heaven. And I don't want to give the devil too much credit here. I mean, many of us are just bending whichever the way the world blows. We just respond to however we feel and whatever our flesh wants and the enemy doesn't really have to uh, do much to tempt us or affect us. But my point is simply this. There are heaven-sized ramifications to your decision as to who or what you're going to worship. So friend, Rockbrook Church, guard your worship. Guard your worship. Don't let anybody rob you of your, your worship to God. Don't let any idol or guy or girl or job, career, sex, money, possessions rob you of your worship. Don't let any failure or accomplishment in your life rob you from your opportunity to declare the worth of God. Don't let it rob you of the thing you were made to do and don't let it rob God of the praise that is his alone. Because if God really is worthy and there was a revolt that happened in heaven, a full-on rebellion that happened in heaven and now for this short time on earth, we decide whether we worship the God who delivered us out of slavery and death or we worship the idols of the world. In that choosing moment, that moment we make that choice, wouldn't, wouldn't it be the enemy's objective to strike blows at the worth of God? Like, do you want to tell me it's a coincidence that two-thirds of the world are bowing down before bronze and concrete and wood? No, it's no coincidence that right now people all over Asia are paying somebody a couple of bucks for some flower stems to lay in front of a golden idol. And it's no coincidence that there are people kneeling on the streets of Bangkok saying their prayers to a big brass idol. And it's no coincidence that people all over India and the world make their pilgrimage to a river that they think is going to save their soul. And it's no coincidence that our nation, one of the richest people groups the world has ever known, still has to borrow to satisfy our materialism. And it's no coincidence that we've just decided that we're only going to believe what our human mind can understand and only what we see in our reality. Satan is attacking the worth of God and he's directing the world to little idols so we will ignore the creator of the world. And into this scene, into this war, steps Jesus Christ, God, who voluntarily gave up his high position, gave up his throne, became man, lived a perfect life, and when he hung on the cross, he took a heavy blow to deliver us from meaningless lives that chase after the wind so we could be brought into the family of God, into a love and grace and a future with God, into a destiny with Christ, into an inheritance with Christ that is as great as God himself. Am I worshiping sacrificially? Let's pray. God, you are worthy of all honor, all praise, all glory, all worship. You are the most high God. We bow our hearts before you. 
May there be none above you in our lives. Help us to rely on you. Choose you above all else. With every head bowed, some of you here today, your story looks a little bit like Solomon's, meaning you've lived your life however you've wanted to live it, and you're discovering that only God can truly satisfy and it's time to surrender to him and be satisfied in God. Or maybe your story looks a little bit more like Job's today, where there's been a loss and you don't know how you can make it. But God is still worthy. He is still good. And he will not forsake you. He's worthy of giving your life to you. What I didn't tell you is that God blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. And God will restore what's been taken from you. A great heavenly inheritance is being prepared for you. Do not give up. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. God, we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ that he is who he says he is. Help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.